You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Being a mother and a banker are two really important parts of my identity, and it's honestly impossible to separate the two, and, and I wouldn't want to. I'm a better banker because I'm a mother, and I'm a better mother because I'm a banker. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Women remain drastically underrepresented in the financial services sector, even more at the level of senior management. Today, we're going to tackle this topic head on. My guest, Sasha Kellerman, will share her path to becoming a banker, mother, and rising to lead a team in an area that Wall Street has historically overlooked. Sasha is head of Women and Family Health and Technology Investment Banking at Lyrink Partners, based in New York. In this role, she works extensively with private and publicly listed firms, advising them on transactions, including mergers and acquisitions and capital raising. She also oversees investment in the domain, women and family health, that the World Economic Forum recently declared as the best and most underfinanced investment area. Sasha is deeply passionate about all things related to digital health, smashing taboos, and elevating women. We're going to talk about her own career path and how she leads and mentors others in her work at Lyrink. One could do no better to describe Sasha than the words from our mutual friend, Professor Peter Bellamy at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business, who wrote, I will always remember Sasha as a fierce advocate for women and racial minorities. Her work continues to open doors for people who would ordinarily find access to be challenging. Sasha started her career in finance in Goldman Sachs in their healthcare group, and prior to business school, worked in media and advertising in New York. Sasha holds a BA from Boston College, MBA from the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business, and most importantly, is a proud mother of two curious daughters. 
Sasha, thank you for joining me. Welcome to 97% Effective. Thank you, Michael. I'm happy to be here. Sasha, when we first met, you stated that you were a mother and a banker. You were very clear that being a mother is not something you hide or come second. Is declaring that openly one of these taboos that you smash? Can you say more about that? Yes. Well, being a mother and a banker are two really important parts of my identity. And it's honestly impossible to separate the two. And, and I wouldn't want to. My girls are really my why to why I'm willing to work 10, 12, 15, sometimes more hours a day in investment banking. But again, really pushes me to focus on women and family health. Ultimately, I want them to grow up in a world where they have greater access to healthcare that's specific to their anatomy. A perfect example of this was in October, I was wrapping up an important transaction in the woman and family health space, and my daughter Zoe decided to surprise us by arriving uh, about two and a half weeks early. My, my team, of course, stepped in right away, encouraged me to unplug, but I wanted to see this last one through. It was really important to me. So I had Zoe strapped into the carrier, trying to rock her to sleep. And I was dialed in to the last approval call for the transaction. I advised Genev, a digital health menopause company, on its sale to Unified Women's Healthcare. And as the call wrapped up, I, I, I kissed Zoe on her head and whispered to her, mommy's trying to do this to make sure that you have access to menopause care when you need it. And so it really is what motivates me. And I think I'm a better banker because I'm a mother and I'm a better mother because I'm a banker. I joke with my husband that I develop these superpowers now where I can compartmentalize, I can multitask, and I can really stay calm under pressure because after all, an unhappy client is nothing compared to a screaming toddler. <laughs> You're actually taking me back to my first job, which was in China my boss, Roberta Lipson at the time, was pregnant with her second and then third child while we were setting up the first private hospital, Women and Children's Health in China. And I remember being incredibly inspired by her ability to do all of those things um, at once, leading the company. So we're going to talk about your career path, what got you to where you're at, and how you elevate others. First, can you give us the short version, why women's health is such a big, important opportunity, and particularly the unique angle and role that Leering Partners and your team brings to the space? Sure, Michael. Well, ultimately, it's something that I'm extremely passionate about, and it's an area that is very underserved, very nascent, but we have seen over the recent years, I would say over the last two or three years, definitely an increase in investment and awareness. And Leering Partners, I believe, truly is the best positioned platform to lead in this space, very much advancing women's health equity, which is why I was so thrilled to join and so excited to join the bank, Leering Partners. To my knowledge, I think I'm the first on Wall Street, or at least from an investment banking perspective, definitely the first bank to have a fully dedicated team focused on women and family health. And that really translates to access to an incredible network of the most impactful innovators, investors, and operators in that space. But when I was starting out in this practice, which again, didn't exist until about two years ago before I joined Lyric, I, I was frequently getting the question, actually still sometimes get, is the women's health market really big enough? Which always makes me chuckle a bit because it's, you know, women are half the population, utilize healthcare services more often than men, and actually control about 80% of household spending decisions. So it's, it's an important distinction that it's not just 
women's health, it's women and family health. Um, women oftentimes control healthcare for their children, for their parents, for their partners, and are often caregivers, and sometimes in that sandwich population, taking care of children and their parents at once. We are an incredibly important moment in history right now. Major tailwinds accelerated by the COVID pandemic and the overturning of Roe versus Wade have really converged around advancing women and family health. A lot of investment has flown into that space. According to Rock Health, the market is expected to grow to be around 60 billion in 2027. So now really is the time to invest and innovate in women and family health. And I'm excited to be here and be a part of that. You mentioned before we dive into your career that this position and role at LeRink Partners did not exist and you are now running it. Can you just tell us the short story <laughs> of how that came to be Because you and, and the company helped cr create that role? Yes, and I'm happy to. Researching women's health companies uh, was sort of a hobby of mine when I was still at Goldman. Um, again, it's an area that I was particularly interested in. I noticed seeing more news articles and press releases around financings. And I thought, hmm, it's interesting. Why are we only talking about this at the time? It was, you know, 2021. But as I was thinking about my career in finance, I was trying to think about as I get more senior, eventually you'll specialize in a certain sort of sub-vertical. I was in the healthcare team. And so I was trying to think around where, where do I see potential in investment? Where am I passionate? And candidly, where's there potential for a, a senior investment banker to fill in? And I remember having some discussions with some of my mentors and sponsors while I was at the firm, thinking about where to specialize. And I raised this as an area. Understandably, a lot of these companies right now, it's still very early days. So they're, they're kind of smaller than some of the larger bulge bracket banks would be able to take on at that time, which makes complete sense. And so wasn't really the time and place to, to launch that there. Then I got recruited to join Learing Partners. And ultimately, they're actually were hiring for a different role that wasn't the right fit for me. But I mentioned and raised sort of my focus and ambition to create this practice and the rationale behind it regarding market sizing, market opportunity to really create something out of nothing and, and launch this space. And so the, the resounding response that I received was yes. And, and not only that, but what do we need to make sure that you can succeed? And what, do you, what can we do to help you? And, and that, you know, it wasn't telling enough. I think going through the interview process at Learing Partners is a place where I wanted to join. You know, from my first conversations with Learing, my, my current boss who co-heads our healthcare team and, and leads my group and several partners proved that, you know, if I'm going to join here, I'm going to have people to support me. And after, you know, my interview process was, you know, still during COVID. So just to resume at this point, we hadn't even met in person yet. They really gave me the tools and the investment and support to create this practice. And it really is an incredible opportunity. It felt like and still feels like a rocket ship. And, you know, I'm still going. <laughs> I think I'm really just getting started. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to lead this team, again, with partnership from Learing and, and the other SMDs on my team. And hopefully one day there won't be a separate distinction for women's health. It's just going to be healthcare. But, you know, we're just not there yet. And so if we go back now a little bit, you moved from communications and media over to banking, very different industries, at least the stereotypes around them. Both are very New York, but very different types go, go into them. What was the, the ability to kind of shift to, to a very different industry to banking? Yes. Yeah, so I think it would have been impossible to shift from media directly to banking without the help of two incredible platforms. 
one of which uh, was business school. And the other is a pre-MBA program called Management Leadership for Tomorrow, or MLT for short. This organization specifically targets high potential Black and Latino professionals and helps place around 50% of candidates to top business schools in the U.S. And so as part of this program, which I enrolled in a year and a half before I even applied to business school, I had very intensive monthly homework assignments, including researching every sort of career track you could think of coming out of B-School, as well as different MBA programs, and importantly, received coaching on how to really look the part, something that I had no experience in and did not have a network or, or mentors at the time to guide me because I didn't know anybody in finance or investment banking. Prior to MLT or receiving my MBA, I did not own a suit. I had never been to a networking event. I had never seen a financial statement and honestly didn't even know what they were. And I quickly you know, learned and was a sponge through my time there. At the same time, I identified through MLT and through my MBA program that there were several transferable skills that served me really, really well from media and advertising to business school and then to investment banking. And that's primarily interpersonal skills uh, or soft skills. And from my experience, because it's harder to teach someone, especially in the classroom, uh, for example, I had managed and mentored teams for about five years before business school. I had a lot of experience presenting to clients, so public speaking uh, or pitching. I knew how to write really well, and I had a lot of experience in PowerPoint, especially creating beautiful PowerPoint slides. Um, while my peers in business school dreaded networking circles and public speaking, I thrived because I loved getting to know new people, and I really wasn't scared to stand out. I actually found it really invigorating. I also knew that I would really learn these technical skills like financial modeling in either my B-School classes or training an investment bank. And while yes, financial modeling is extremely important, it's not everything in a transaction. So for example, I remember my first year as an associate after business school, I was working on my first initial public offering an IPO. And in that process, an investment banker will work with a client and there's two, two large sort of deliverables, one of which is a drafting a regulatory document called the S1, where you essentially are writing a large essay about the company, what makes them really unique, what's the comparative advantage, the market opportunity, why is this you know, a great company? The second component is a PowerPoint presentation where the, the client, the CEO and CFO would present to research analysts again about the company. So after only six months on the job, I found myself sitting across the table from the CEO, CFO of a company and my co-advisors who were all managing directors the only woman you know, sharing my opinion about what should go into that S1 or, or how a certain PowerPoint slide could be reformatted in a different way. It was an exciting opportunity, a skill that I didn't realize, I didn't realize my peers didn't really have as much of, and ultimately a place where I was able to shine pretty early on. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoth. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. So being a sponge, adapting and and learning all those technical skills very early, talk just for a minute, presenting there as the the only woman. Well, I think I... When I first got into, when I first joined investment banking, I noticed that there was a certain way that people communicated, which is very different from my time in media, which was very entrepreneurial, very casual. So in investment banking, it's very hierarchical. 
some firms more than others. And so, for example, on a transaction, I was co-advising with another bank and the most senior banker was always there in the meetings and everybody would, on his team, all his juniors would defer to everything he was saying. Versus when I was at Goldman, I was given a lot of responsibility really early on, which is something that I loved. And even though I was an associate, I was still empowered to share my perspective, disagree, but provide a better solution. I was always told, you know, if you're going to disagree, at least give another solution. Don't just say, no, this doesn't work. And so I remember there was in that particular process, for example, we spent hours and hours writing and rewriting a particular section in that S1. And I felt very strongly that it could be written differently. And so I actually just drafted it myself and I sent it to the working team. My co-advisor was pretty um, adamant that his perspective was the right way to go. And so the way that I communicated was, look, here are two good options. I always say you're going to have problems in life, but you want to have the good kind, like picking between two good options. And I ultimately let the CEO decide. I said, look, whichever you prefer, it is your company. These are two good solutions. And whichever you know, he thought was the most representative of the firm that he built should be what we should go with. It did end up being my, my idea, but it could have easily gone the other way too. But I think ultimately it was just sharing that perspective and not being scared to speak up because how, how would I know if I had never said anything, then the other banker's idea would be in that S1, which is file the SEC forever. <laughs> and so ultimately you have to put yourself out there again with thoughtful perspective respectfully, but a good idea can come from anyone, whether you're, you know, coming out of college or an MBA or the most seasoned executive. I've always thought that you shouldn't treat people according to his or her job title. Um, it's really based on who has the best idea and can advance something forward. And so that's what's driven me and empowered me to speak up. So being very thoughtful and not being scared to speak up. I, I want to ask, in the intro, we talked about mother and banker. As you were exploring, you alluded to the fact that banking hours were tremendously long, but you were very clear wanting to be a mother and have a family. Many people out there who are thinking about their careers, I'm not going into this space because of the, the culture, the hours, et cetera there. How were you thinking about that? Yes, I've obviously thought a lot about this. Um, so if I could take you back a bit to what I was thinking when I decided to go into investment banking, again, I was part of this MLT program. I was every week or every month learning about different industries and interviewing people with different jobs and learning more about what the art of the possible could be. I had heard, obviously, the horror stories around the hours and male-dominated and really aggressive and whatnot. But I also researched and, and learned I really like client service. I really love negotiating. And a merger and acquisition transaction was extremely exciting. I love working in teams and managing people. And so these were all different things that I thought I could achieve well. Importantly, also investment banking could either be a platform for me to grow into later on and be a senior banker, or it could pivot into other career opportunities. It's also an incredible way to build personal wealth, um, which is something that most people don't talk about. Uh, but as I was thinking through what are options after business school, what are career paths that I want to take, there were two truths that I accepted for myself and I thought would be critical to achieving my goals. And again, this is not necessarily the case for everyone, but for me, it was really important to identify and come to terms with. One was timing of when I would want to start a family. 
and two was finding the right partner. Ultimately, I think it's very challenging to do everything by yourself. And I also knew that I wanted a family, I wanted a partner. So number one decision of when to start a family, and again, these are things that are usually whispered around behind closed doors, I made the personal decision to defer having children until I had a few years of investment banking under my belt. Specifically, I was targeting around a vice president level. The median age for women matriculating to business school is 27, meaning the majority of us graduate around 29, which is an important time in a woman's fertile window. And I had a lot of peers, female peers that opted out of investment banking because they wanted to start a family immediately. I was also advised that these VP years was the ideal time because you're senior enough to have now a bit more control over your schedule, but not necessarily always owning the client relationship. So it was somewhat easier to step off the gas a bit. Deciding to go into investment banking after business school and, and deciding to defer when I wanted to start a family, that would mean about three and a half years until I received that VP promotion. And it's by no means impossible to have children as an associate. It's just much harder. And I thought, okay, I'm a career switcher. I'm a Latino woman in investment banking. That's going to be hard enough as it is. So why don't I focus and kind of triage? So my plan was to really work through those associate years, establish my credibility, build my personal wealth, and then triage and focus on work and family. And number two was really finding the right partner. I, I think this is especially important for women in influential or powerful positions. It's really challenging to do it by yourself, and I honestly don't want to. But finding the right partner is perhaps, I think, the most important decision that one can make in determining your professional and personal success, again, because it's so challenging to do it on your own. And I also knew that men are often intimidated by powerful women and that many men would be uncomfortable dating a woman who potentially makes more money than them. And that's not something that's talked about, but the research proves it. And I accepted that, okay, it may be more challenging to find the right partner, but I think he's out there and he may just you know, more likely than not would work in an equally demanding field. Maybe he's another banker or lawyer or doctor or something, but I knew he would need to be someone that was equally as ambitious, as curious, and ultimately would push me to become the best version of myself. And, and ultimately I found that. So fast forward to now, I, I'm, I'm happily married to the love of my life, who I met in business school and is also a banker. We actually started dating during our internship at Goldman, though I told him I wouldn't take him seriously or the relationship until I got the offer. So once we both had our return offers, then we actually could focus on the relationship. But we now have two wonderful daughters and we make it work by, you know, very open communication. We put absolutely everything on the calendar. Family time is blocked off before and after the nanny is here. And it's important for me to be there for bath time and bedtime. I, I don't want to let go of those windows of time. But importantly, I also we also outsource anything that doesn't give us pleasure at home because there's an opportunity cost to my time. So for me and for my husband and us and our family, that means childcare, we have a nanny, laundry, cleaning the house. So when I have free time, I want to really be present with my, my family. And that's only possible if you are outsourcing some of these sort of normal family, human things that you need to do. But again, finding that right partner and, and being okay with putting my career first in those associate years and then triaging were two things that I had to decide, accept, and not forget as I got through the, those tough moments. 
Thank you for speaking so honestly about the tough trade-offs and calculus you made in your career. Sasha, we're hitting time today, so this feels like a good breaking point. I want to come back next week because you've got really strong views and spectacular advice on how people, especially women, can succeed in historically male-dominated industries like banking. That includes how to build presence and brand, negotiate, and stand up. But let's dig into that next week. Any final words for today? I'm always excited to meet with innovators and founders and investors in women and family health. And so to the extent any of your listeners are in that space, um, please do feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. I would love to, to learn a little more about what they're building. Sasha Kellerman, Head of Women and Family Health and Technology Investment Banking at Lyrink Partners. We'll be back next week on 97% Effective to continue our conversation with Sasha, going straight to strategies that can help women and other historically underrepresented groups get ahead, lead, and elevate others. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.